There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome in to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show, live on podcast from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. I'm your host, Tim McKernan, alongside the great executive producer of this presentation, John Seymour, a.k.a. The Sea Monster. And it's another edition of questions from the audience uh, with me and, of course, Iggy and the Plowhawk. Uh, Iggy, uh, hello again, everybody. Hey, Tim. How are you, buddy? Thank you. Welcome uh, back. I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. It's good to be back. Plowhawk, how are you? What's up, dog? Oh, very good. Very good. I see you brought a nanner in. Are you going to eat the nanner during podcast time, or is that just during there to Iggy's, incentivize you for good answers? Maybe during Iggy's answer, if there's a maybe a elongated answer, I will. I, it's already now, I feel like that's open, a shot at long answers, and Iggy's answers really aren't that long. It's my answers that can go on for 10 minutes, but you don't want to take a it shot at me. That's shot. my read. That's my read. <laughs> It wasn't a shot at anybody. I'm just saying tight if read. there's a, it was a tight read. if there's a time where I can fit in a bite or two, I will. If not, I can save it for a road nanner. They're, that they're a multifaceted fruit. That's why I like it. Did you see Mike Leach have trouble with his nanner while talking to Chris Peterson before the Apple Bowl with Washington and Washington State? I missed it, but I'm sure entertaining nonetheless. Yeah. I'm a big Mike Leach fan. Uh, Iggy, did you see Mike Leach? How he's inflating the. <laughs> No, I bet Washington, but I didn't watch the game. I was busy. How are you running? You running good? College, yes. Pros, yes. I, I I'm right there with pros. you. Me and producer Joe, we do the picking and groaning thing, and it's just it's awful because we pick games and we're terrible at it. So I guess if you just fade us, you can make money. That's the upside for, for picking and groaning. I went 5-1 and one Saturday That's in college. That's pretty damn good. And then I went 1-6 and six in pros. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I went over uh, in the pros. We'll have picking and groaning for you coming up on uh, Friday, uh, but uh, questions from the audience, boys. I, I mean, it does, I sit here with Isaac Bruce, Jay Randolph Sr., which was a phenomenal conversation, just listening to him tell stories. John Mazzella, Clay Travis, Jack Danforth, Gary Pinkle, you name it, but it's questions from the audience that gets right there with the best of the Chris Kerber interview. What does that say, Plow? Well, what does that say? I think it's it's no. I think people really enjoy your in-depth interviews, but with this, it's grab ass. Your interviews are in-depth and incise and great questions. This goes back to grab ass, and I think our listeners, their attention span is probably more suited to grab ass than serious interviews. Mm-hmm. Plowhawk, your uh, your theory. Yeah, that. this is uh, remind me of like an animated sitcom where you can give me an turn example an- of the animated like Jim. American Dad's a great one. One of those, one of those where you don't have to follow it season by season. Can turn it on at any point, and you can kind of shut your brain off and still be entertained rather than watching a documentary on, you know. Who, I, who, I see what you're saying there, and I think that's a good analogy because sometimes we'll be sitting there on a Friday night, and I'll say, "Anna, what do you want to watch?" And she'll say something that's kind of in depth, 
And I go, God, I'm not in the mood to pay attention. Too much right now. That's how I, it's yeah, too I much. Yeah, I think that's I'm a ready. nice yep. analysis, actually. So it's a, good, it's a good that. switch up, and I, I, I enjoy them as well. I listen back and see if I say anything stupid, which is always. So hopefully we have some uh, good questions this week. Yeah, so I guess the Jerry Andall Sr. interview is more like a documentary. <laughs> Commit to it. It'll pay off, but don't do it when you're, like, kind of distracted. This yes. can essentially be background noise. Correct. All right. Uh, well, we're doing it from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios, and uh, the Home Loan Expert has this message. Buying a home is the American dream. No one deserves to achieve that dream more than the men and women who have served our country. Our American veterans and military personnel have earned that right by protecting it for the rest of us. Hero.loan is the new VA loan program, making it simpler and more affordable for veterans and military families to get the home loans they deserve. The Hero Loan isn't just another VA loan program. The HomeLoanExpert.com team spent a year and a half developing the Hero Loan program with three goals in mind. Streamline the home loan process, uh, taking the hassle out of qualifying for and getting a VA mortgage. Deliver the best mortgage product of its kind to the customers along with an even more personalized loan experience and make financing and refinancing a home more affordable for those who've already given so much, our veterans, military personnel, and their families. The HomeLoanExpert.com is excited to announce their newest loan program, Hero.loan, the new way to VA. The HomeLoanExpert.com has brought the new way to VA with the Hero.loan. The Hero.loan can close in as little as 14 days. There are no out-of-pocket costs, including no appraisal costs. They meet with our heroes of this great country face-to-face and take care of all the eligibility paperwork. You have to call Ryan Kelly at 314-781-9700. Ask him about the new Hero.loan or visit Hero.loan.com. The Home Loan Expert, LLC. Well, as always... The good people submitted questions, and so here we are with with more. And I'll start with uh, with this one, Plowhawk. You get to lead off because I'm curious that which which direction you're going to take this. Okay. Biggest misconception about you? Oh wow! Oh wow! Because oh, wow. my read, and I think I'll speak for a lot of the audience just to set the stage, is stoner. Correct. Loves his dog. Correct. Loves his significant other, but because of past issues with discussing significant Keep others out publicly, yeah. keeping out of of the limelight, uh, enjoys eating. I would imagine three thousand plus calories, probably around four hundred carbohydrates a day, and yet still weighs around one hundred thirty pounds. Correct. But that I, I think that'll be the misconception that I'll go after. Will be. People won't necessarily that I, I don't eat or Jay Jr. likes to bring up Jay Randolph Jr. likes to, you know, let, let's give him four cheeseburgers. I do actually eat a good amount and I also cook. I know I'm a big fan of Lena's pizzas and mm. other crap you can now, when throw you say in the cook, microwave. You mean like doing that, like heating a pizza for 15 no, minutes? No, actually, actually cooking chopping dinners, ingredients. I don't think people would look at me as kind of a chef, but I actually do enjoy cooking. I cook for my girlfriend every night. Dude, and really? so some people look at it as maybe I just throw a couple pizzas on the pizzazz every night, which I tend to do, but people don't realize I love cooking and I love eating healthy every now and then, whereas people kind of- What do you consider look, healthy? I'm just curious where you are in that. A lot of baked chicken items. I still, it's not like full grain veggies or anything like that, but you, it's not, you know, it's good fresh chicken or poultry or something like that, fish, and then cook it down and add a little seasoning, but nothing, you know, deep fried or- processed foods. Mm. So people mostly think I eat processed food, but I actually cook a little bit, Iggy, if you can believe it. Huh. Well, I believe that. that. I've heard you. I've never seen you cook, but you tell me you <laughs> cook, so 
I have no reason not to believe you. Now, Iggy, what about you on this? Because I feel like there, there, there's a, a wide yeah. variety of preconceived <laughs> notions on you. A lot of them. Uh, ranging from actually Most killing real, people <laughs> to being uh, some form of a sexual predator. Uh, you have a lot to work with here. Well, I mean, those are all false. I mean, we know that. I've never killed anybody. I'm not a sexual predator. <laughs> so that is predator. on the record, though, now. <laughs> um, I, mean, I, I can be creepy at times. So that's not really a misconception. I but what do you define creepy. as creepy? Because everybody's creep is somebody else's just really persistent <laughs> uh, significant other. Well, some of the things I talk about where it comes to porn and things like that. People can so find that creep. I mean, I would consider myself a creep well, by those standards, by well, St. Louis standards especially. Well, some people find that creepy. If you find that creepy, then yes, I'm creepy See, because I, I watch I porn. I think it's healthy to be sexually comfortable. I, I think that's too. healthy. I don't think it's like, oh, my God, I'm fighting this off. Okay, screw it. I'll subscribe to Brazzers. I think it's healthy. I yeah. really do. I honestly do. Well, some people may find it creepy that instead of spending time finding some girl that I'm going to take out to dinner and I might get laid, when I can just jerk. Why? It is why? true. It's I mean, fun. You may, find that <laughs> you may find that creepy, but it's a lot easier for me. No yeah. phone calls, no money, and bang, just enjoy some Pornhub and I'm done. Back to watching whatever. Um, one thing I will say, a lot of people think I'm angry all the time. <laughs> But Jennings I'm, calls you angry. Yeah, he did. And it started with Bob Ramsey. I used to do a segment called The Angry Man where I'd come in periodically and just start bitching about something. And Ramsey said, The Angry Man. But I'm really not angry most of the time. There's things that, that upset me and piss me off. But I'm really a kind of a happy-go-lucky guy when I'm at home talking to my neighbors or watching TV or, you know, if I go out with friends. I'm always happy. I'm never. I'm not really that angry all the time. People tend to think that I'm angry all the time. I'm not really. I'm really not angry all that often, to be you honest You don't seem really, now that I think about that, I don't even think of you remotely angry on our show, even though that was kind of the, the perception for a few years back in the day. Yeah, I mean, nothing really upsets me. I mean, you know, you've never seen me, you know, storm out of here pissed off about something or throw something at the computer if it doesn't download quick enough. I mean, I, you know, I don't let a lot get to me. So I would say the one conception that people have of me is that I'm always angry and pissed off, and I'm really not. I've got two, I think, and I think one could come off the wrong way, but I want to be honest. Questions from the audience is all about honesty. Uh, I think one is, is that I'm actually an introvert, but because of the show, I would imagine I come off like an extrovert. And so when we have events... Or when uh, I'm just meeting like somebody who listens to the show and, and is kind enough to come up and say, I listen to the show, love the show, whatever the case might be. Oftentimes, I might come off as, um, I don't know if socially awkward is the right word, although maybe that is the right phrase. Standoffish. Yeah. And, and then I think what happens then is then that's assumed to be arrogance, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. For example, and I'm going to use an example and I'm actually going to name a name. Uh, but it'll be for different reasons. When I worked with Steve Savard at KMOV for five years, I could be wrong on this. Steve might totally disagree with it. I think he's somewhat of an introvert. I don't know if shy is the word. I, I think there's a difference between shy and introvert. Uh, but because he was and is, you know, this big, good-looking dude who had at the time the sports director job, now he's a news anchor, and I think if and then people see him and then therefore they identify him as a public figure and they want to come up to him. And if he's not outgoing and affluent, well, he must think he's too cool for school. 
which is the furthest thing from the truth. He's a great guy. Uh, and so I, I kind of observed that, and I was in my early mid-20s at the time observing that, and now I kind of think about it, and at that time nobody really knew or cared who I am, and now there's like 0.1% of the population who does. Uh, and I sometimes feel that way, like at, like at our TMA events, people come up, and it's great. It's thrilling. I mean, my God, when you do this for a living, you, you couldn't. That's, that's what you hope for. You know, if we were doing just like a kind of monotone, homogenous program on sports talk, no one would ever show up or care. Uh, but they like the personality of the show, and it is my personality. That is who I am on the show. There's no question about it. But I kind of turn it on and I kind of turn it off. And so, for example, like I'm sure there's some people listening to the podcast, in particular the interviews, and like, God, that doesn't sound like the guy who's on from 7 to 10. He's a lot more serious. But that's that's also part of it. But I, like I said, I think I'm, I th- I think I'm an introvert. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But then I think then people go, oh, he must think he's too cool for school. When in reality, I'm just an introvert. I'm a reluctant extrovert. If that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. That plowhawk. Does that make sense to you? Iggy's agreeing. It, what, 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 what do you? It ask? does. And now I've seen you socially only in situations where it deals with the show, where you have Doug and the cat there as well. The kind of you know, block uh, just a whole bombardment of people. And Whereas so you D- get, Doug loves it. Doug does Doug love it. Doug loves yes. it. And I think part of that comes from being, he's working all the time in TV, father, three kids are older. I truly, at this point in my life, all I want to do is be home with my wife and now my baby. But even before then, that's, that's what I was. I think it all depends on the personality that comes up and talks to you as well. And if you ha- have, a, a, have that's, had that's a, a conversation with them or know of them previous... Because Mr. Nipples, when you meet, I, I know nobody knows what we're talking about. A texter, Mr. Nipples, who has great texts. I, I felt like I knew him the first time I met him. Great conversation. You kind of feel like you know his personality. But if it's somebody like a girlfriend's parents or brother or something that you don't know, I am very introvert as well when my personality is very bubbly and outgoing. I kind of sense the situation and kind of sense out the personality of the person before I you know, go into my, whether it be my normal personality or whether I kind of hold back yeah. the reins a little bit. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes I'm, I'm totally on, but sometimes I'm like, I'm, I mean, it's, it's kind of, now I kind of, again, it's a, it's another huge stretch analogy, but I remember when I was covering the Cardinals again, I was in my early twenties. I was 23 when I started at KMOV. And at that time I was total fanboy. Uh, and I remember going, God, Mark McGuire's not nice. Albert Pujols isn't <laughs> nice. And then I'm like, we were in their place of work and they're getting ready for work. And I realize it's, it's a game of baseball. But like when I would text with Edmonds, I've told the story before and then it'd be like two o'clock and I go, what are you doing? He go, I'm getting ready to go down to work. And I'd give him trouble about, dude, you're going to play baseball, but they, him it's work. And I'm sure people listen to us and they go, that's not work. That's just totally fucking off. And I get it. But when we are there, we do have certain things that we do need to do, even though it is absolutely like the most moronic form of, <laughs> of you know, earning a living. Uh, and so I think that's a misconception. And then secondly, I think there's a misconception. And I think the cat just kind of, but this is what the cat does. He essentially creates um, false narratives uh, in a, you know, harmless, you know, good-spirited way that uh, that I'm like out, drinking and going out all the time <laughs> when in reality, I mean, I just, you know, I guess maybe like 12 years ago would do that. But I mean, we hardly ever, I don't know when the last time I've been drunk in St. Louis is. I mean, I don't even, I don't I mean, I probably have, I guess I've, it's had to have happened within the last year, but I'd really have to think about it. 
when we go to Las Vegas or Miami uh, or Chicago or New York or whatever the case might be, and I don't have to worry about getting up early in the morning, I'll get after it then. But otherwise, that 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 I think is a misconception, although I don't think that's as necessarily misconceived now as it used to be. Maybe pre-child, maybe people thought more so yeah, of now that. They maybe totally now know. they kind of think of the adult life, going home after work and, and that's being what I the want child to do. and things like that. Like, yeah. I remember used to, like when I was in my 20s, I'd go, God, that has to suck. But now it's actually what I want to do. Like when my son smiles at me, it's better than a, than a lesbian orgy. And I can speak to this. I can speak Knowing to you both for five things. years, that's a big step. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's the greatest feeling in the world. It truly is. So uh, things have changed. I have changed. But I, but for the record, I still am pro-lesbian orgy. Uh, and, I, uh, and I wouldn't change any of the stuff at all. It's just that is how uh, things have changed. So uh, yeah, I, think that, uh, I think that does touch on the, the misconceptions. Here's something that I, that I get asked every once in a while, and I don't think— We've talked about it. Seamaster might be the official uh, Jedi Knight here that could correct me. Have any program directors or advertisers had a program with email of the day or been surprised by the potential for vileness? Uh, that one comes from the Crestwood Coyote. I feel like people, we've talked a little bit about the content of the show, and then I explained that I think the reason why we get away with what some would not be able to get away with First off is is money because that always gets down everything, and the show has a bunch of advertisers, so that kind of makes you, you know, I don't want to say invincible because I wouldn't call us invincible, but uh, we're in a good spot because we bring in money. But I think is kind of like I say on the fan page, just don't be a dick. I think people can tell that everybody on the show is going to get killed, and 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 by that I mean if you if you decide to jump into the arena and play in the reindeer games, you've now chosen to participate. Recognize you also could be taken down, but it's never mean spirited, or I'd like to think the vast majority of the time it is not mean spirited. Ninety nine percent of the time it's not mean spirited. Yeah, There's I mean you get labeled but... as a serial killer with bodies in your backyard. I think nearly every day, and I'm hoping they're kidding. <laughs> hope no, some cops show up and start digging. Yeah, we heard on a show that you killed people. Um, but uh, there's a there's a couple that are always just trashing under me. I think it's mean spirited. But for the most part, it's funny. I told people at the bowling alley Saturday. I said, what you guys don't realize is that when these, for the most part, when these emails are coming in, I mean, I'm in the corner laughing. I mean, I find them amusing. So no, I don't get upset about that. But I also think the the advertisers know that they see the the return of all the all of our listeners that go out and buy their products. So yeah, make a little vial here, but that's not going to keep them from I want them to be part of selling my product because I know people are going to come out and buy it. Yeah. But look at the advertisers we bring in. I think that for one, most of the advertisers we bring in have a previous knowledge of the show, what it's about. And look at some of the owners of the sponsors, Salt and Smoke with Tom Schmidt. You know, you have Ryan Kelly. They play ball with the show and with the audience. I think that's what brings in the audience That's as how well. you optimize that, your investment. That, yes, exactly. Because then you become synonymous with the show. And there are other people now trying to follow that model, which is very smart. Ryan did it with the mortgage industry. Mm -hmm. Tom, I don't I don't know if Tom knew about the show before he got on board, but then he saw what happened. He was a quick learner because oh his first God. spot and he's was a great, spot on. He's a great yeah. fit with the, the show, as yeah. is Ryan, obviously. Uh, and that's Salt and Smoke. Is no joke. Now, we have a couple here that I think would be specific to people. Sea Monster actually jumped in the thread 
and uh, with a very rare post. What is the first solo interview that Iggy conducted in his radio career? Fun fact, mine was Kenny Lofton. That's not an easy interview to get, by the way, Sea Monster. Iggy, I, I don't know what, because I, I, I would probably go back to the 1970s, and I just don't, I mean, I, I always go Stevie Nicks. I just always assume Stevie Nicks is your, your answer for everything. 70s? Every. Interviewing in the 70s? Well, I, that's when you were uh, Joan Jett and, and Rodrigo's, weren't it? Well, I had an interviewer. I grabbed, grabbed my butt, and I said, hi, I had an interviewer. I was in radio until 92. Um... I was talking to Sea Monster this morning about this, and I had a I I Swope's going to have to check the dates because okay. I think I'm correct on the dates. But they were both in '94. Stevie Nicks before her concert, she so was. So that really was your answer. The first one I interviewed as you know as a professional working in radio um, that I can remember, and I went back to the the station we were on, uh, Carondelet at the time, I think right down the street from the Sevens Building. Uh, in the same studios as KZK at the time. And we had a back production room where everything was done on reel-to-reel. Hmm. And I met her in the early 80s. That's where we, you know, the Thai Babylonia came in and the hotel party and that. Um, but when she came back to town for, I think it was the Street Angel tour, reached out to her people and got back to me and said, Kenny, Stevie will do the interview, but she's a night person. Um is there a way you can do it at midnight? <clears throat> and I said, look, I'll go back to the studio whenever she wants to do it. So I went back to the station at midnight in the production room, called the hotel, got the room, um, and did the interview. And I told Sea Monster, it's the worst interview I've ever done. I mean, there was no resetting. There was, it was, it was like Chris Farley. You remember that time you and Lindsay were, I mean, it was, it was really a sad interview, <laughs> but it was like 45 minutes of just bantering back and forth. And, um, I have it at home somewhere because Frank Ladd did me the favor of taking the reel to reel and transcribing it onto a CD so I could actually play the thing and hear it, you know, 20 years later, whatever. Um, and there's a point in there where we're talking about Ty and she asked me the next time you're in Los Angeles, you need to get Ty and come by my tennis court. We don't play tennis there. We roller skate. And I'd love for you to come over and roller skate in the tennis courts. So that was the highlight of that. But I think that was August. So to make I a, mean, to make a long story short, I think the first was Tara Lipinski. Tara Lipinski. At the summer, at the uh, Olympic Festival in St. Louis in 94, which I think was June or July. So that would have been before August, obviously. And she was the darling of the Olympic Festival. And our station was covering it. We were doing everything. I mean, I covered the bowling. The bowlers took me out to Chuck E. Cheese afterwards and bought Pony me pizza show. for all the interviews I did. But I remember interviewing <laughs> Tara Lipinski, who I'm guessing at the time was... God, I don't know, 12 or 13. And she had just, she was the darling. Of, she won everything. Nobody ever heard of this broad before. And she's 12 doing. 12 or 13, you're broad. <laughs> well, she's 20 something now, 30 something now. But anyway, <laughs> this young girl, nobody heard of her. And she's doing sow cows and double axles and flips. And, you know, nobody had heard of her. So I interviewed her after uh, winning the gold and um, went on to become a superstar. But yeah, so it's. Probably Tara Lipinski a few months before Stevie Nicks. Plowhawk for you specifically. Oh, God, mine are terrible. I don't do interviews. So I guess the first big one outside of school, like we're talking in our like professional career, correct? Yeah, Ariana I, Marie for you? No, yeah, it, it be it, the trip to the arts with the Jack of Spades. It was actually, uh, you may know, I, I don't think any of you two know him, uh, Kyle Larson, who is a NASCAR driver, one of my uh, buddy's best friends. 
uh, it was when four years back when Kyle Larson got into the wall and like flipped into the crowd and some of the wheel axles. It was a big story. And then I uh, covered him and did an inter- like a 25 minute interview with him when he was in town with my buddy. So that was the only major one I've done, a solo one. Obviously, Ariana Marie in the back of the Lumina. Rest in peace, Chevy Lumina. Uh, that one is up there as well, just in pure content. I, I, I think I got to go back to like when I was interning for KFNS in 1998, but it might have been, it actually might have been interviewing Norm Stewart. And recently, and I think it's because Norm Stewart, they uh, unveiled that statue of Norm Stewart in Columbia about a month ago, I think it was. I told the story that Keon Dooling, former Missouri guard, wound up having a great career in the NBA. He lasted a long time. Was crying at the end of the bench in a game against Colorado and Boulder. And I remember seeing like the TV stations. Everybody got a one-on-one with Norm on Mondays. I think it was called like Lunch with Norm. And nobody was asking him about what took place on Saturday in Boulder, which was obvious. Keon Dooling was crying at the end of the bench. To me, that's like the obvious story. you got to ask about it. And nobody was asking him about it. So I get my chance and I'm like, I guess they're scared to ask him. I don't know, but I'm going to go ahead and ask. I'm 20, 21 years old and I asked him about it and he told me he wasn't crying. And then I said, well, no, there was video of it. They showed it. And he just looked back at me because it was radio and he stared at me. He said he wasn't crying. And then I honestly think I wet myself. I think I, I truly feel like at some point there was urine shooting down my leg at the Hearn Center as I was sitting there with Norm Stewart, I'm like, oh my God, I'm talking to Norm Stewart. And now he's clearly intimidating the hell out of me, saying that this didn't happen. He's kind of like, what are you going to fucking do about it, punk? And I'm like, okay, so coming okay. up, Nebraska, Danny Kneesbunch. <laughs> Maybe he was cutting onions, coach. I'm sorry. God almighty. Yeah, hardcore journalism. I did uh, that with, with Arnold Palmer when, I don't know, was the U.S. Senior Open, U.S. or the Senior PGA Championship at Bell Reeve, but his... Wife Winnie had just died not maybe a month before that. And he's at the press conference uh, prior to the tournament, uh, promoting the tournament. And there's like six questions in talking about his golf game and Bell Reeve and how many times you play. I'm like, God, is anybody going to ask this question? I mean, yes. So I did. I said, you know, Mr. Palmer, I said, uh, first of all, condolences, lost to Winnie, but um, she was like your rock for all these years. What's it like now knowing you have to go out on tour and play without Winnie there? He broke down oh, and, and really? afterwards, and he told me, he said, thank you for asking that question because I really wanted to talk about Winnie, but I guess everybody was afraid to ask it because it was so soon afterwards. But, um, yeah, I understand that if I put myself in the other reporter's position, I respect you asking it. That's a tough spot. That's a tough spot. Yeah, that's a tough spot. But she was his life in golf. And, and had he said, given you, I'm not here to talk about, that. I would have felt like a dick. Exactly. And that's yeah. why I always say some people. You'll have these moments with whether it be coaches or players, and they light up the inter- the interviewer, and and the question can be completely justified, innocent in its intent, and then now in 2017, then they become the target of social media attacks, uh, and I just think that's BS because the quality of the interview is is strictly uh, in the court of the person a- answering the questions. James Carlton is one of the great sponsors of the Tim McKernan show. And all we ask is that you support the sponsors. That's it. We'll keep giving the content as long as you support the sponsors. Give James a call, please. Would you really please 90% of homeowners in Missouri escrow their premium with their mortgage and have no idea what they're paying or what they're covered for. Call James today to protect your biggest 
asset. 314-961-4800. 314-961-4800. In fact, you can go to his website right now and go check him out at carltoninsurance.net. Call James, and he very well can get you better coverage and start saving you money. In fact, he can often include $100,000 in life insurance without even increasing your payment. The switch is easy. They do all the work for you. Just takes one phone call or apply online at carltoninsurance.net. It's James Carlton and his incredible staff right here in the St. Louis area. They're not some big national chain. Sure, he's with State Farm, but it's his own agency, and that's why he can give you personal service like nobody else. You see their reviews on Facebook? They're unbelievable. People get that excited about insurance? Well, it's because of the customer service. How refreshing would that be? 314-961-4800. James Carlton of the James Carlton Agency. On this one, uh, that would be specific to me, it's from P-Hump, Hall of Famer for the record. Outside of Doug, did you like anyone else during the famous morning grind tryouts? This is old school here. This is going back. Were you at KFNS then? Uh, I was, because I remember all those people coming through, and my response was, well, they basically just have free fill-ins until he decides who he wants to pick. Yeah, and he not being me, for the record, at that time, because it was 2006 and I did not own the show. Um, so Martin quit in October of 2006, the morning grind. And I'm sure there are a lot of people listening to this who never even listened to that. Um, so they then said, we're going to have auditions. Whereas Doug and, uh, or excuse me, the cat and I wanted it to be Doug or Chris Pelican. Chris Pelican actually was the other person in the mix. And, um, they didn't want to do that. They wanted to have auditions. And I, I remember thinking that's odd. I also remember it was the Sunday before we came back to work after the Cardinals won the World Series. They had the World Series parade on Sunday. Um, I know this because I was at a stag bar until 7. Actually, there was the time change then, 8 in the morning, uh, with members of the world champion Cardinals, and then saw them on the field later that day wearing the same attire Uh holding up the World Series trophy. Um, But I remember feeling a really odd feeling because for 24 years, that was everything I had won. I mean, for a lot of people right now, the thing that you could draw an analogy to would be if the Blues were to win a cup and all of a sudden you felt depressed. And I felt depressed. I was like depressed. And I don't know if it's because I knew I was about to go through hell or if it was because here's this thing that has really been like the centerpiece of my life from 1982 on, and now I've experienced it. And it's like, oh, what's next? It's like the end of The Graduate when Dustin Hoffman and uh, Mrs. Robinson's daughter look at each other like, oh, we won. Now what do we do? We're on the back of the bus. Where are we going? And I remember thinking that. But the other thing was we were coming in the next day, and Martin wasn't going to be on the show. And we were going to have to address that, and then we weren't going to have a full-time co-host for, a, I guess, for a couple of months, which was a weird spot to be in. Uh, I've always said, I always said then, and I'll say it now again, because I know it, it'll come. It, 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 it isn't a matter of who is the most important one. And somebody might go, well, Tim's the most important one, or Doug's the most important one, or the cat's the most important one, or back then Martin's the most important one. It's a tripod. And if any of the legs fall, i.e. leave, it changes. It doesn't mean it's over though. And that's, that's what that would prove whoever would leave then, and I almost left in February of that year, would then be automatically canonized as the most important one. It's very, it's, it was, but again, I realize the audience doesn't 
see that. And so at that time, it's like, oh, my God, the show's over. Martin, the show's so different now that Martin's not there. It sucks. Martin was the most important one. And I'm not saying that Martin was or was not. I'm just saying whoever would have left first, the show would have changed. Therefore, the show would have sucked. And then, therefore, whoever it was would have been canonized as the most important one. So you had that going on all while every other day we had a new co-host. And it's nothing against a lot of these people who came in. Martin Kilcoin fires, his mind fires at a, at a faster level than damn near anybody I've ever sat with. Uh, and so the show, therefore, had to kind of slow down. And so we're out there blowing in the wind in this audition process. And it's miserable uh, because we don't know who the co-host is going to be. And uh, it's going on for two months. But after Doug came in, it was like it was very obvious he was the best one. And so Chris Pelican was very good as well. But the way it was going down, I think it was like January 2nd or 3rd, 2007. I went to meet with Jason Barrett, uh, who most people know more from the uh, I spent four years in San Francisco mm-hmm. than from what actually happened in 2006. And in this point, 2007. And we were having dinner. I remember I had a meeting down with the Blues, probably about advertising with InsideSTL.com. And I, and people, somebody said, hey, you want to go get a drink? I go, no, I got a dinner. And they go, what's the dinner about? I said, I'll meet with the program director. We're determining the future of our show. Which I kind of said jokingly, but I thought it was going to be like, Barrett and I have a conversation. Here's who I think's best. You agree. Okay, let's go get him. That's what I thought it would be. Like if he was really on board with Pelican, Pelican probably would have been the the third guy. Uh, if he were really on board with Doug, it would have been easy because we were on board with Doug and Pelican. So when I sat there at Jay Bucks and Clayton in January 2nd or 3rd, 2007, thinking we were going to have a conversation about this show and who the third co-host was going to be with the cat and myself after Martin had quit and they had fired producer Joe, uh, when he told me that he was firing the cat and bringing in Bob Fesco, who I, I didn't know who he was. And I'm saying that not as a shot at Bob Fesco. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure most people in Kansas city have absolutely no idea who I am. He was in Kansas city. He's back in Kansas city now. And I remember as he was telling me that I tell the story, it's a, it's a weird thing to say, but it's the truth that when he told me that, I pictured, a, I pictured a tombstone. I swear, I know it sounds insane. I'm almost embarrassed saying it, but I pictured that's it. You just killed this radio station. You don't, you, don't, you don't realize you did, but you just killed this radio station by doing this. Uh, and that's not realizing how Doug was going to be. I knew Doug was the funniest son of a bitch I knew from working at KMOV, but I also knew the public didn't know that because what they see on TV versus what Doug actually was behind the scenes, two different things. But I knew once he got into the system that that personality would come out. So when he's telling me this, first off, to, he's going to fire the cat. I'm learning this now. Uh, and uh, he's going to bring in a guy who uh, I don't know. And it's going to be the two of us when I know that the show fires at its best with three people. That's why it was going to be me, the cat, and the third person. If it was just going to be two people, then why not just have me and the cat? Uh, and I remember, and that's why it's, it is, I will say the one thing that's disappointing, because I do defend Bob from those who attack him, like, oh, you failed in St. Louis. I don't know who could have come into that situation and and had it work, yeah. you know? So that, that's where I will defend it. it. It is disappointing when I hear, like, Barrett and Bob did a podcast 
And I think it was Bob. It was one of the two of them. Either way, they were both in agreement that, well, it's tough to make something work when one of the people don't want to make it work. And that's that's just 100 percent bullshit. And it's very that's disappointing because I think deep down, at least Jason knows that that's not true because I went to them and didn't ask for any additional money or anything and said, I'll run point because I'm going to do whatever I can to try and make this thing work. When the show started, they brought in Bob to run point and it clearly wasn't working after a couple of weeks. And I said, you know, and I remember Stake Shapiro, who was one of the owners, I met with him and I said, Stake, this is, he goes, well, what's the, what's the problem? And I said, I mean, people are used to Martin Kilcoin and what he does and Bob does a different style of radio. And so for the people who are used to the morning grind, you're still calling it the morning grind and it's not. And he goes, well, I know radio and I know Bob Fesco is way more talented than Martin Kilcoin. And I go, okay, again, that's subjective. And I know some people would probably laugh at it, but Bob does one thing and he does it well in Kansas city. Uh, it's a different style of radio than the morning after, just like there are plenty of people who would listen to our show in St. Louis and go, God, that's awful. But you still have to acknowledge that it has a following. Um, but if you love Bernie Miklas's show, you probably don't love the morning after and vice versa. And that doesn't make one good and one bad. It's subjective. The data that you can analyze is return on investment for advertisers, but those aren't public figures. So that, that, that's disappointing that I get blamed for that when I know what really happened, which was Jason put his neck out on the line. It failed and he had to blame somebody. And, and still 10 years later, I get blamed for it. That's really disappointing. But to answer the question, um, it would have been Chris Pelican, but Doug was the first choice and it was obvious and had, by the way, it actually, that meeting actually gone the way I thought it was going to go where Jason and I were going to have a conversation about what we were going to do. And I would have had a chance to dig in and go, God, you can't do this. You might like Bob and that's, that's understandable. But the show is a, is a chemistry show. And I've never met this person and we have somebody I've worked with for five years at KMOV and I know and then the cat, you can't fire the cat. Do whatever you can to not let this happen. Because part of the cat thing was a, was a financial thing, as he later explained to me. In the moment, I didn't know that. Um, so it would have, I think, I think what happened with that ownership group and KFNS, it would have changed the course of history. Would it have led to it thriving, flourishing? No, because there's always business reasons that caused problems and and, you know, that that's not for me to discuss here. That's their own situation. But the point is money was relevant, uh, but it wouldn't have crashed as quickly as it did once that all happened. Um, and so it's a long winded way to answer Chris Pelican. But Doug was it was it was Doug and Pelican. And that was it. And again, that's not a shot at the other people, because there are a lot of people who are working in television and radio now who came in there. It's just the, sh the reason why the show, I think, works is because it's so quick. And it's because the people I work with are so quick. I mean, you know, like the cat dropping a Talia Shire line or Doug's reaction to something, mm -hmm. you know, and if you bring in somebody who isn't used to playing that quickly, it, 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 it clearly changes the flow of the show, which is why we're so lucky to have like Charlie and Jay uh, and Ben Fredrickson come in because they can, they can play at the speed. And yeah, it's not the exact same when it's not me, Doug and the cat. But it still doesn't change the feel of the show. That totally changed the feel of the show. And then Barrett was adamant about keeping the name The Morning Grind. And I said, how can you keep it The Morning Grind when two of the three guys aren't on the show anymore? And he said, I view it like Nirvana and I still have Kurt Cobain. I'm like, oh, God. And that was actually a quote in the newspaper, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> uh, I'm just like, oh, you can't. Uh, don't do that. Don't say that because you're just setting it up for failure. And then it's, it's going to hurt Bob's situation in St. Louis. So anyway, there's fun with radio behind the scenes 
seems like we always get into that in these things. If that's what people want to talk about, I'll talk about it. So there it is. I thought you were going to, I feel like Iggy, you were about to lean in and add some, maybe I'm out. No, because I don't, uh, I remember that. And I don't even remember Pelican being one of the guys that came in. And when we were going to 1380, it actually was going to be Pelican. And then, because I I think Doug wasn't sure he wanted to do it. I don't know. Because Doug had never done radio full time. And eventually he decided to do it. And um, I think this, I, I don't think I'm speaking out of school when I say this, what they were paying him to do it out of the gate was, I mean, you'd laugh about it. I'm sure he probably was laughing about it, but it's like, okay, it's found money. But it was so, we were only on for a couple of hours when we started because they had some deal with ESPN radio and they had to run Mike and Mike stuff, I think, or something. I don't know. So he's like, ah, for two hours, I'll, I'll give it a run. And then once the year changed to 2008, then we went to three hours and the thing took off and then they were able to start getting him some, some real money. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was good. Chris Pelican, former, uh, two Fox. Yes. He was, uh, Char- Charlie Marlowe replaced Chris Pelican if, if memory serves. But, uh, yeah, there's the backstory on, uh, on that. So, um, I think that'll, I think that I, I, the Plowhawk, do you know any of this stuff? Does this fascinate you in any capacity? I mean, it, it's weird because I came in and didn't know you and the show didn't know me, and we worked in the same building for a few months, I do believe. I had no idea who you were until you ran our board evening, at 920. I was an evening guy, so when I interned and did a little board op stuff to help them out, it was always in the evenings, whereas you guys were obviously in the morning. So we didn't even know we existed, and mm-hmm. we worked together for but three But then months. I heard you speak for the first time at 920, and I knew. Not a lot of people I had, had to have you. I knew reaction. I had to have you, boy. It was like a big Al type moment on the text line when I first spoke, but they warmed up. <laughs> I have a terrible memory because I came back to KFNS when Marisek took over. Ninety eight. And Tim interned there, and I don't remember Tim interning there. <laughs> yeah, I would I would do like uh, the sports center updates things. I and then they remember. just have me running sound. And on that one, whereas we kind of joke about my dad, of course, still being responsible for my career and just like essentially floating money so I can have jobs. On that one, I will say the reason I had that internship is because my dad was general sales manager 100%. And the best one ever. That's the reason, the big reason that station succeeded was because of your dad and the stale staff he put together. That actually is true. I would agree yeah. with that. Because people say, why didn't it work out? I said, well, my dad. You can say it's well, Tim McKernan left. Yes, you're right. But not me. Him. Senior. That Tim McKernan. That's the one that mattered. All right. Uh, great questions from the audience. Again, as always, please, anytime you want to send them in, uh, do so. Email in T McKernan at InsideSTL.com. T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. And uh, we will answer your questions here on Questions from the Audience every Wednesday on the Inside STL Podcast Network, where you can subscribe and have our podcast just downloaded to your phone automatically, whether it be on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever podcast system you use, it's there for you. And, of course, you can listen on InsideSTL.com. Plowhawk Iggy. Boys, thank you so much, as always. Appreciate it, buddy. Enjoy your afternoon. It's 70-some degrees outside in November. I'm telling you, Jack, it is uh, beautiful in St. Louis. For the Sea Monster, I'm Tim McKernan. Thanks for listening to The Tim McKernan Show.